our attitude is not, you know, we need money from you. We need money from you. It's more like, why don't, will you allow us to help you build wealth? And we're really, we really approach it from that mindset is we know that what we have to offer is helping someone else improve their life and leave a legacy or whatever their goal is with their money. We know that what we have will help them do that. Now, what we don't know is, is it a good fit for you? So the thing is, is we know what we have is great. What is it that you're looking for? I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cash Flow. Welcome in Contrarian Cash Flow. Got a two guests today, a little contrarian curveball thrown in there. I've got Wendy Sweet and Bill Fairman of Carolina Capital Management. How are you guys doing this afternoon? We're doing great. Excellent, John. Thank you so much for having us. I am so excited. This is going to be a great episode. So, so Wendy, for those of you who don't know, is a 30-year veteran within the real estate game an agent, a mortgage broker, and now currently, uh, along with Bill, her brother, runs a hard money fund lending to residential and commercial projects throughout the Carolinas and the Southeast. And Bill is a 30-year mortgage veteran himself, uh, been brokering for, for quite some time. And obviously, that's the expertise that he brings to their organization. So I know things are kind of strange right now. We're coming you know, right into the new year. There's some hope with the vaccine. What are you guys seeing currently in the market in regards to lending volume and, um, you know, I guess, loan to values that are you guys being a little bit more hesitant than, than things were previously? Go ahead, Wendy, since well, you're the one that puts the money on the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, our December, the month of December was one of the best months we've ever had. Um, in, That's good because November was awful. Yeah, no. So in a three-week period, you know, we were able to do one of the best months we've ever had with three weeks rather than four to work with. So uh, we're not seeing real estate in our market. We're all over the Southeast. We're not seeing it slow down at all in the price range that we work in. We tend to stick with the affordable housing market. You know, we like houses where the after repaired values are below 500, preferably in the you know, 150 to 350 range. That's, that's what we like. We feel like it's kind of uh, recession resistant. Um, so, so we like that path that we're in and, and, you know, things are just going great guns for yeah. where we are. Those property types and that price range have the most liquidity out of all the real estate sectors. You've got empty nesters, you got first time home buyers, you got, uh, investors that are all going to be interested in that price point. So at any time, if you're looking at it from a banker's point of view, if you have to take that property back and you can't sell it for whatever market condition, you know, even during the 2008 mortgage crash, housing crash, whatever you want to call it, people still needed a place to live Mm -hmm. and rents did not go down. So in that case, if you have a house in that price range that you're a bank, essentially that now you become a landlord, uh, at least you can get the returns that were expected by your investors 
from the rental until the property values right. come back up and then you can start uh, selling again. Because that's one thing we always know is that while they might not be sellable now, they will be eventually. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one point you touched upon there that I think is so important, and I think that's one of the, the risk factors I see in the market, especially within real estate right now, is the exit strategy, right? It's nice to have multiple exits, right? If, you're, if, you're, if your business plan is only to go in, you know, increase rents, drive up the appreciation, you know, drive up, drive down the cap rate, whatever the case is, I think that gets really risky. And I think that's why... Uh, it can get risky, right? I mean, you know, thankfully for the last 10 years, you know, we've been on a very upward trend in the market. And I think Mm. that's why debt is so intriguing to me. And and I think to the listeners right now is just because it is a little bit of a more secure option. Like you talked about, you know, you do have some downside protection that even if you had to hold the asset, and especially in the markets you're talking about in the Southeast, I mean, those are very competitive markets, especially in the price points you're talking about there, right? You know, there's the demand, the demand far exceeds the supply that's out there right now. So, um, well, well, other than being partners within uh, Carolina Capital Management, they are also are brother and sister. So, you know, I, I'm very curious to dig in. The- <laughs> now, now, not She's yet. Touches, man. <laughs> I'm telling mom. <laughs> <laughs> And I just think that's such an interesting dynamic, right? I mean, you know, you hear spouses and, you know, I guess you see siblings of, you know, the same gender being partners, but, you know, it's very rare to see a brother and a sister uh, to partner partner together on a business. So I'm very curious. So, so, you know, let's start at the beginning. So you both obviously been around real estate for years. Wendy, I know you're an agent and, and he got you into the mortgage space. Bill, I know you've been in the mortgage space for quite some time. So, so how did you guys, did, did one of you get into real estate first or how did you both find your ways into real estate? Well, our, our mother is a real estate agent. So we were raised with every birthday, every Christmas, every holiday, she's running out the door to show a house. Yeah. And I think we both said, there's no way we're getting into that business. <laughs> and here we are. So, you know, as, as a, a, a good mom, she always told me no matter what I do, if I got my real estate license, I would always have something to fall back on. And although I fought doing that, I did it anyway. Um, but actually, it was Bill that got me into the mortgage end of the business back in 2000. But do you want to tell well, how you... I went to school to be a dental technician. And I worked in that field for 10 years before I ever got into the mortgage business. And my uh, father-in-law owned the mortgage company and got me involved in it. He, he said to me one day, you know, you should get into the mortgage business. And I said, why? <laughs> he goes, well, you have a personality. I went, really? That's all it takes? <laughs> uh, fortunately for me, I had an aptitude for the numbers and it was fairly easy for me to explain it to people that were outside of the community. He can count on both hands at the same time. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> it's not about the fingers. It's adding the toes. It's about the spaces, and I'm doing it here on camera. Right here, it's it's about 12. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and it's only on one hand. <laughs> so then you have the other hand. Anyway, uh, it was easy for me to explain to others the benefits of, uh, you know, certain lending programs. And so it, uh, it just, it went from there. I got into the commercial space for a while. Loved the commercial space. That, this is why Wendy was in the investor space. Because while our mom was running out on weekends and holidays, when you're dealing with investors, it's a nine to five job. That's right. It's not like the retail side of things. 
So, uh, and, and then getting into the hard money space, if we can just go forward on that, it's no different than being an insurance adjuster. Mm -hmm. You're just, you understand the basics and you're just judging the risk. Yeah, very and carefully. So I, <laughs> and so I guess just, you know, people hear debt and, you know, hard money and all these different terms and stuff. So I guess just real quick, just for anybody in the, in the listener base that isn't quite familiar with what we're talking about here, can you guys just give a 10,000 foot view of, of hard money and kind of what it is that you guys do at Carolina Capital Management? Sure. So, so I'll, I'll just really talk about a hard money loan and what it is uh, to start off with. And then Billy can talk about the, the capital raise part, but, but um, what we do and what any hard money uh, person really does is it's a short term, normally a short term high interest loan that allows a borrower to purchase a property and fix it up and either turn around and sell it or turn around and refinance it. And the loan is actually based on what the after repaired value would be, not what the current value is. Although some lenders do care about all of those things as well that people have a misgiving thinking that hard money is for people who have poor credit or no money and uh, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That is a complete and total misnomer. Uh, you know, when we, when we do loans, we look at tax returns, we're looking, we pull credit and background um, and then we're doing due diligence on the property too. Uh, because both of us coming from a, a real mortgage background or I should say a conventional mortgage background, <laughs> we understand what the underwriters are looking looking at when they're looking at a project. They're not always looking at the borrower either. They're also looking at the project and how it conforms to what's going on. So, so that's what we do. Short term, high interest for us. Uh, the interest rates run between 10 and, and 13%. Um, the points are running three to 5%. It really just depends. Um, and uh, short term meaning six months. Uh, we have we have loans that go all the way up to 18 months, but that's really long to us. We'd rather have them really short so that we can turn the ship as the economy changes. We want people to get in and out. And that's the key. You know, people go, oh my gosh, you're paying 13% on an interest rate. Well, you're only paying it for six months. And if you're smart, you're only paying it for three or four months because you're getting in there, you're getting it fixed up, and then you're turning around and either getting it refinanced or sold as quickly as possible. And keeping in mind, if your loan is six months and you're, it's an interest only loan and it's annualized, you're not really paying 13%. So if you have a 10% interest rate and you pay it six months of it, you've only paid 5% interest. Yeah. So that, that's something to consider when you're doing this. And why would anybody in their right mind get a loan uh, with, you know, points and, and high interest rate? Well, it's because, uh, when you're leveraging someone else's money, number one, we get back to the exit strategies. You have more exit strategies available to you when you are leveraging somebody else's money. You uh, miss out on the opportunity for new deals if all your money is tied up in mm -hmm. a property. If for some reason, and it's going to happen because this is real estate, nothing ever happens like it's supposed to. Right. Uh, you need extra money to finish a project or overcome an obstacle, you won't, you don't have it because you've already used all your money up. Uh, so it limits your options. And frankly, the only way you're going to scale up a business is by leveraging mm -hmm. somebody else's money. Mm -hmm. So we lend 70% of what the after repaired value is. So, you know, we take the list of repairs, we give it to an appraiser and they do an appraisal based off of those items being completed. 
And when we say we lend 70%, we actually lend 100% of the rehab and we lend 90% of the purchase price. So we want them to come to the table with a little bit out of their pocket. Some people will do uh, uh, 80% of the purchase price and 90% of the rehab. So it's different with every company. You just need to ask those questions and what works for you. Yeah. Our industry is very fragmented. Yeah. It is private lending. And so everyone in the private lending industry has their own set of rules and guidelines that they go by when they, they want to make a decision that's comfortable for them. Right. And then uh, you do have some so-called private lenders that are really backed by Wall Street investors. And that's where you'll find the lower interest rates because they've got dead money that they need to get out there on the well, street. Well, besides that, they also have less leeway in their guidelines, right. as it were. They're going to be tighter. We can look at deals more globally. In other words, taking in all the aspects of the deal versus if it doesn't fit into this box, you're not getting a loan. But if you fit into that box, then you're going to get a, a, a much lower rate. Mm -hmm. The not downside is, fits. you know, right after COVID, a lot of those companies that had they Wall Street-backed funds <laughs> just stopped lending altogether. Now, we did take a closer and harder look at what we were lending on, mm -hmm. but we never stopped lending. And so, Wendy, one of the points you brought up was, you know, you getting it on the street, so you lending it to, to rehabbers or people that are trying to do projects and Builders. things like that. Mm -hmm. Builders and then Bill. So there's another side to it too. That's that's really interesting, right? So you guys obviously are lending this, you know, similar to a bank, you know, high level, similar to a bank, and then also, but you have investors on the back end that you're able to pay, you know, a fairly high rate of return uh, to help, you know, build up your coffers so that you're able to do more projects. So what what's the other side of it as well? Yeah, no, we just lend all our own money because we have <laughs> so much of our own. Actually, actually, this this hard money started by accident in two thousand. 2001, when I was doing conventional loans, I would have people that would qualify for loans, but they couldn't find houses. And then I had other people that, that uh, found houses, but they didn't qualify for the loans. So I started taking these people that had money in their self-directed IRA and brokering them to the people who didn't have money. And later I learned, hey, that's called hard money. <laughs> so at one point, I got, got up to $23 million of other people's money that I was just brokering out people in self-directed IRAs and that kind of thing. And it got so busy. And, and I think it was 2012 is when I'm begging Bill, please come help me, come work with me. Let's do this together. And he was gracious enough to do that. And that's when we started the fund. And you probably might. Well, in 2014, we started the Carolina Capital Reserve Fund. And essentially what a lending fund, most lending funds and ours in particular it is a, an investor-owned LLC where it's called a, a mortgage pool fund. So you're pooling your funds. So you have bigger you know, buying power, mm -hmm. so to speak. But what it does is it allows for downside protection and diversity over a larger portfolio. If you're direct lending out of your IRA or cash to someone, let's say, for example, you're lending somebody $100,000 to complete a project. Well, that's a large chunk of change for one asset, right? What happens if they stop paying? Well, it doesn't mean they're, they're going to lose any of their principal because if you're lending correctly at the, at the correct loan to value, you're not going to lose principal. But you're certainly not making any money until you figure out the disposition of the property. Inside of a fund, 
that's spread out over, you know, 150, 200 loans at a time. The likelihood that, uh, you know, one or two loans are going to make, make a difference in your return is, is very low. And, and part of the uh, expense structure of a fund is putting money aside each uh, quarter to, for, in a reserve for loan loss reserves uh, in case there is a loss. So you're protected that way. And another thing about direct lending, you're, getting, you're receiving monthly payments from a loan each month, correct? Well, what's that money, that monthly payment, what's it doing as you're collecting it? You can't lend it out because you only have a monthly payment worth of money. <laughs> so it's sitting there collecting dust and no interest until you build up enough to make another loan with. And at the same time, if you are lending directly and that loan is going to pay off eventually, what's your money doing until you get it into a new loan? So even if you were at 11% uh, interest as a lender and it took you two months to reinvest that money in another 11% loan, your annual rate of return is only 9%. So it only takes two months of a gap to really lower that. So on the fund side of things, it's a great opportunity for people that want to be passive and in most cases are going to have to be an accredited investor. And I'll explain what that is in a minute, but you can use IRA money because it's uh, very IRA friendly because you get no tax benefits from interest income. It's considered ordinary income and you have to pay tax on it. But if you do it in a tax deferred or tax exempt vehicle, at least you can take advantage of it uh, that way. Now, to be an accredited investor, they've actually widened the rules a little bit recently. They, they are allowing financial planners and other people with uh, financial certificates, CPAs, um, if you're involved in a fund, what they, they want to make sure that they consider you a uh, sophisticated, yeah, investor. sophisticated investor. So before it was strictly a million dollars in net worth, not counting your primary residence, or you had to make 200,000 as a single person or 300,000 as a family. Uh, those were the only ways that you could be accredited. And now they've opened it up a little bit for, for people who understand investing, financial planning, that type of thing to also uh, get involved in these private placements. And that's what it's called a, a private placement. And you can leave your money in there and it can compound. Well, not all funds do, but ours allows you to do that. So for example, if you're using IRA money, you don't have any plans anytime soon for that money. You're just trying to build it up over time. And so with a fund that allows for compounding, you take your earnings every quarter or month or however it's uh, figured out. out mm -hmm. uh, and then you just buy new shares each quarter and you're using compounding to build up your return over time. So I'll give you an example. Let's say the annualized return is nine and a quarter, but you're compounding your uh, returns instead of taking it out as income every quarter. In 60 months, your return, your actual return is a little over 11%. In 10 years, it jumps up to over 14%. So it makes a big difference. It's just like paying your mortgage down early. So if you pay 13 payments a, a, a year instead of 12, you can pay your mortgage off eight years early. It's just the same thing, but in reverse. Except we, we all know it's not smart to pay your mortgage off early. That's right. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Well, <laughs> I'm just giving up. Yeah, well, if your interest rate is 12, yes, you do. <laughs> all right. Fair, fair point. Fair point. 
<laughs> so, well, so like, obviously you guys were both in the, you know, in the game and, you know, you said your, you know, Bill got you in initially, Wendy, into the mortgage space, but, you know, what's it like being, I mean, Wendy, you know, you called Bill and said, hey, you know, you, I need your help on this. I mean, what's it like? I'm sure there were spouts, you know, at the dinner table and stuff growing up, but what's it like calling your, your sibling and saying, hey, you know, let's really get this going and, uh, and start this business together? Well, I have to tell you, you have to have a special family to be able to, to do this. We, we come from uh, five kids. There's five kids in our family. He's number one, I'm number three, and then there's one in between us and two below me. So we're, we come from a special family. We joke all the time. You know, we fought as kids all the time, especially me and him. We were the ones that fought the most. But That's because she kept wanting to wear the pants. <laughs> still do. <laughs> That's my problem. But we, um, we're the kind of people that, and we always have been, and I know other people around us can kind of get uncomfortable with this, but we, we spew and then we're done. Uh, we don't hold on to grudges. We move on. We know we love each other no matter what. He's the most loyal guy on the face of this earth and he knows I'd die for him. So, um, we, we have that. There's no question about it. So, and, and we bring different talents to the table. Um, you know, he is very much, a, you know, belly up to the bar kind of guy and he's friends with every, there's nobody that ever meets him that doesn't love him. He's just so friendly, so easy to get right. along with. It's Check, the truth. Checks in the mail. <laughs> it's the truth. And, and I'm like, you know, don't tell me about the labor pains. Just show me the baby. Let's move on. And, and I kind of keep my, keep my nose to the grindstone. We're, we're very different in the way we approach things. And I, I'm, my cup is half full. Actually, my cup's all the way full. And his nickname as a kid is Schlepprock. Like, there's always <laughs> something that's going to go wrong. <laughs> See, I'm always looking at the downside. He's right. always looking at the upside. I call so. him Debbie Downer, too. I, so. I, my <laughs> job is to be the anchor or the brakes. Well, yeah. any good underwriter has to be a little bit negative, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But she's absolutely uh, right on about the, it can be uncomfortable for others in, in our business. We're fine with it. Though. Because we, we're not very tactful about having conversations with each other because it doesn't, neither one of us take it personally. We just say what we need to say and move along and everyone else is like, like that Saturday Night Live skip, skip from back in the seventies. Jane, you ignorant slut. That was. Yeah. Well, it didn't go quite that, yeah. that bad. That's right. We don't want to. Well, that's good. To, that's good to hear. Ignorant, ignorant might be. Yeah. <laughs> no, we we laugh a lot. We have a good time. You know, we have our own podcast too. That's actually a video cast that we've been doing and. You know, we'd love to invite y'all to watch it, and uh, we have fun, and um, you, nobody's going to die from what we do. You know, you can't take your life too seriously. If you're a brain surgeon, then be serious, because you need to be. But <laughs> we're not brain surgeons, and we're going to make mistakes in what we do. In fact, if you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing enough. You know, you, you're... It, you know, it, it's funny on the banking side. I don't know if you remember back earlier 2000s, they had these... Obviously, they had these loans where all you had to do was, you know, fog a mirror and they'd give it to you. Mm -hmm. But they came out with these 125% loan to value loans. Initially, it started off with, well, we have credit card loans. Why don't we make credit card loans that attach to actual real property? Doesn't that make sense? That way we can 
you know, we still have something to go after. Credit card companies, when you stop paying them, all they're really going to do is bitch and moan. <laughs> <laughs> Make your credit bad. Uh, but there's not really a whole lot they can do legally. Well, they can do it legally. Does it make financial sense to go after each individual and try to get, you know, personal property away from them, right? So they decided, well, let's do these 125 loans. And they, at the beginning, it was a, a 125 loan was a refinance only. So I'm going to buy new furniture. I'm going to put a pool in the house, you know, whatever. Well, they looked at their portfolio after two years and they said, you know what? There's too many people paying us on time. We need to open up these guidelines. <laughs> and, that's and that's exactly what she's talking about. If you're, there's a point where if you're not getting enough delinquencies or at least the national average for what you do, then you're being too conservative and you're leaving too many deals out there that you should have made. Yeah. So you constantly have to look at that but we do well below the national average yeah, of delinquencies. And we do, and there, there's a reason for that, too. Yeah. Um, you, you, we like you to know, sleep at night. Well, you know about return <laughs> on investment. Mm -hmm. Well, we also consider return on effort, mm -hmm. and there's a lot more effort in foreclosing and deed in lieu and collecting than uh, just not doing it altogether. Right. <laughs> Well, that, that's such a great dynamic, though. And I think that just in general, you know, society has gotten so sensitive now, right? You know, it just seems like you can't have a disagreement or do anything without, you know, kind of, you know, offending somebody. And, and I think that's a dynamic with a sibling. You've probably said, you know, the worst things you're ever going to say, you know, to each other <laughs> growing up. And so I think it's an interesting dynamic, though, because, yeah, that sensitivity of, you know, because usually when you have a coworker or a partner, business partner, you're like, oh my gosh, I can only walk up to this line because I know that, you know, or, you know, emotions get out of whack or whatever the case is. And so I just think that's such a cool and different dynamic in that, you know, you guys can have real conversations and, you know, have fun with it. Right. You know, it, like you said, this is not, or not. Yeah. <laughs> more often than not it's not life or death right you know i mean it's serious you guys obviously don't want to you know have a default or you know delinquency or anything like that but you know at the end of the day you know more than likely the sun will come up tomorrow so what's your favorite part of of working together with one another and, and with a sibling well we're on opposite ends of the office building <laughs> um no listen we we are a very close-knit family so there's not one thing that sticks out. I'm just happy to come to work every day and sharing it with my sister. Yeah. I, I have to, I, I have to say too that um, I, I, it is so nice to know that my partner in my business is someone that I can absolutely trust no matter what. Um, that's, that's probably the best part for me is, is there's no, no question in, in, in our trust for one another and, and that we always put each other first. Um, and that, that makes a big difference. And part of that is because I'm oblivious to most things and <laughs> I'm not, I'm not intelligent enough to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, I just even watching you guys play off each other now. I mean, obviously, and like you said before, I think, you know, same thing with, you know, going to business with a spouse or, or any partner in general, you talked about understanding each other's strengths and weaknesses, right? And I think that's just such a challenge 
in anything, right? Even if you're just making an investment, right? I mean, that's the thing is if you bring on an investor, that's a relationship right there. And, you know, some people are the one that's texting every day. Hey, you know, is the money out of the fund or is, you know, hey, is, you know, oh, yeah. is the operating income this or, or whatever the case is. And there's other people that are just like, hey, you know, Wendy and Bill, they're pros, you know, here's, here's the funds, you know, maybe I'll check in every couple months and just make sure that things are moving along smoothly. And so I think it's just so important when people are out there looking for partners, making sure that it's with intention and that it's, you know, filling a gap within their skill set that they don't currently have, not just, hey, you know, you like real estate, I like real estate, hey, you know, let's start a business together. Um, so let me, let me add something to that. If you're a passive investor in any fund, be passive. If you're, if you're a, a micromanager and you're very nervous about not controlling every aspect of your investment, do not get into a fund. Yeah. You will drive yourself crazy and you will drive the fund manager crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other options, you know, like, like we broker loans to one-off investors too. So we'll, there, there are people that have, you know, 50, a hundred thousand dollars that they want to invest. And, and uh, so, so we have a lot of, and they're not accredited too. So we have a lot of people like that, that will say, here, take my money and invest it. Now, some of them are like, just, just show me the baby. They just want to see that mail, uh, that mailbox money come in. And then there are other people that want to know every single thing about the house, about the borrower, what's going on with the deal, how far along are they on the rehab, which is fine too. We, we would rather, and everyone should think this way, the more educated you are, the better off everybody is that you're working with. And of course you. <laughs> so, so we want people um, yeah, we, to we ask questions. The most and, educated borrowers and investors. Yeah. Again, but getting back to your original point, which we both went off on a tangent here. We tend to um, do that. <laughs> it's his fault. Yeah. Um, <laughs> partnering up with somebody, you need to make sure that you have uh, different skill sets because if you're both the same, you're not helping yeah. either one of you. So that helps you understand different personality types and traits and what mm -hmm. they're more comfortable doing. And it's, uh, I tell you, that, that has really worked out well in our business when, when hiring folks. That's the first thing we do is send out the uh, Myers-Briggs to see, um, you know, are, are they really, it's just a good fit for them to begin with. Uh, you know, once we've gotten through certain questions, you may be good at a skill, but if you hate doing it, how long are you going to be good at yeah. that skill? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a great test. It also tells you how you should treat that person's personality, the best way to approach them. When, when all of our employees, when we have them, when we hire them, we even laminate their, their scores and, and what they're like. And we put it out on the desk so that you know the best way to approach this person. You know, like our accountant, you don't walk in her office and interrupt her at all. <laughs> Her personality is send me an email. You know, if you're coming to a meeting, it, it, there needs to be a full agenda and by golly, we're going to stick to it. Where Bill and I are like, you know, not that way. <laughs> so it helps to, to understand each other, whether we're brother and sister or just so teammates, employees, however you work. Uh, her and I uh, have different skill sets, but Personality-wise, we're we're still both visionaries. So yeah, we're always popping off these, you know, different ideas, and yet, yet mine the, are usually the, better. The skill set for our accountant <laughs> is one of these where you didn't sit down and think that through before you even brought it up. How could you do that? I'm like, well, that's how we think through it. <laughs> Not me. I have to study it for two weeks first. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's not it. One, I think just in general, you know, back to any relationship, like you're talking about, right? You kind of have to know your audience and, and know who you're talking to and, and how to interact. And I think, I think that's a challenge for people that, you know, like to have control and like to be knowledgeable, but also want some type of a passive investment, right? I think that's kind of the struggle a lot of folks have is they want to have some semblance of control, but then also, you know, they don't, like you talked about, that return on effort or return on time investment, which for most folks is probably greater actually actively doing it than, you know, delegating that responsibility to to someone like yourselves. And so right. I think, well, you know, that's just in general, just very important just to, for anybody out there just to think through is when you're interacting with these people, be it as a passive investor, an active investor, as a, as a partner, as a, as a colleague, just make sure you're really trying to understand the other person's perspective because, you know, that'll give you a much better ability to communicate effectively. Absolutely. Just because you're a passive investor, though, it doesn't mean that you're passive in your due diligence of the management company and the strategies of the fund. Every fund has a different strategy. And that's mm -hmm. all part of the uh, fund documents. It's mm -hmm. going to tell you the strategy um, the criteria that they're using, uh, the different property types that they're either going to buy and hold or lend on or, or whatever it is. Uh, you, you need to do a good due diligence on the management company and feel very comfortable with the decisions that they're going to make based on their skill sets and their track record. Mm -hmm. and, and then again, you, you need to understand the strategies of the fund. Uh, so, just because you're passive, the investment part is passive, not the due diligence piece on figuring out who you want to invest with and what kind of investments are, are being made. Plus, when you're investing with or uh, partnering with anyone, I would, I think one of the most important things for anybody to look at is how do they handle it when things go wrong? You know, are they a stick my head in the sand kind of person? Or are they, uh, you know, whiny baby poopy butt about it? Or are they going to say, okay, this happened. Now what can we do to fix it? You know, what did they do to get out of it? How did they handle it? How did they communicate um, through that? Because that's, you know, that's another thing is, is just making sure you're communicating. And, um, you know, Bill and I both uh, are, are big believers in mastermind groups. Um, and we're members of, I think, a total of maybe three or four, actually. And we give a whole lot of value to those people that are in those mastermind groups with us. And it's important to us to know that we're with group, group, a group of people that what we stay, stay, say stays in the group and that their goal is to help us just like our goal is to help them through whatever it is they're going through. Because you're not alone. Whatever's happening to you, it's happened to somebody else too. And there's somebody that has a solution um, to that. So that's always, a, I think, an important thing when you're looking for anybody to do business with is figure out, you know, because we've all screwed up at some point, find out how they handle it. And listen, there's, there's plenty of stuff that's outside of your control anyway. Yeah. All, all you can do is control the controllables that you can control. <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of opportunities out there that will, you know, rear their heads and bite you that you have no control over. So mm -hmm. all you can do is minimize uh, those, those, the things that you have control over as much as possible. And really God's the only one in control. And once we all realize that we're all better off. <laughs> you have to do your part though. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's a tremendous point. The communication piece of it when things don't go right, I think is so important and also goes back to the competent side too, right? You know, usually it's like, okay, hey, you know, we've we've been through challenges before. We know we're going to get through it. It's going to be rocky. You know, maybe we don't have all the answers today, but this is what we're doing to mitigate the risk and, and whatever the case is, right? Instead of, oh my gosh, like we're in trouble, you know, with hell in a handbasket and, you know, like, well, hopefully this will come out well. So I really appreciate that. So well, one thing that I know and that I think is just such an important skill in general is the ability to, to raise, to fundraise, right? Just in general, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter if it's for a charity, if it's for business dealings, just mm-hmm. in general. And I think that's one that so many people struggle with because it's tough, right? You know, Hey, I need money to do this. I need money to do that. I need, you know, and so I guess for the audience, and obviously you guys have such a good aptitude of it, but how did you guys get started and how did you get comfortable asking other people? And, you know, you're not asking for handouts, right? I mean, you're saying, hey, we're going to pay you a fair rate of return, but, you know, asking people for their hard-earned income and their hard-earned funds to to invest and and do, do these deals involves some semblance of risk. So how did you both get comfortable having those conversations and and continuing to build it to the point where, you know, you have such a sizable fund of, you know, $20 million to to be able to lend out? Well, one of the things that I think uh, really helped me is starting out as a mortgage broker. I'm never afraid to ask somebody how much money they have in the bank (laughs) because it's part of your job. But the, the, the thing is, is our attitude is not, um, you know, we need money from you. We need money from you. It's more like, why don't, will you allow us to help you build wealth? And we're really, we're, we really approach it from that mindset is we know that what we have to offer is helping someone else improve their life and leave a legacy or whatever their goal is with their money. We know that what we have will help them do that. Now, what, what we don't know is, is it a good fit for you? So the thing is, is we know what we have is great. What is it that you're looking for? Do you match what we have? Because if, if what we have to offer you is not in line with what it is you're trying to do, then, you know, we're wasting everybody's time. And, and- our main goal is not to beg for money. Our main goal, although is we to, do, <laughs> our, our main goal is to educate people on the opportunities that we offer, plus the opportunities in investing in real estate in general, mm-hmm. and then uh, allowing them to make that uh, critical decision on what's a best fit for them at this particular time. Because what's good for you now that may not be good for you later. That's right. <laughs> um, we tend to be on the more conservative side with more downside protection than upside. You know, we're going to be basically paying in a particular range. It's not, you know, your big double digits. It's not sexy. Uh, but it's a heck of a lot more than you're getting paid now with bonds. <laughs> <laughs> and you have serious downside protection. So, the vast majority of people are always going to need a certain part of their portfolio in something that's very safe and steady and makes money. Low uh, risk. But are going to be low risk. Mm-hmm. And then as, as you get older or you're in a position where I've got mine now, I just want to make sure I keep it. Again, that depends on where you are at, at what point. And that's where it comes into fundraising. You have to know who you're target audience who the best fit would be for you. Who's that avatar? Um, yeah, you figure out who that avatar is and then uh, you, you market to them a bit. And again, you're not, you're not marketing for, you know, give me money, but uh, you're, 
doing your best to educating them on the opportunities that they may not know exist. That's right. And we also know too that, you know, if somebody has a million dollars, we wouldn't take all of their money. That's not a smart investment. You, you need to diversify where you're investing your money. You, we, you know, somebody comes up to us and says, hey, we've got a million dollars to invest. Okay, what are your goals? Um, you know, we, we may only take 250 of that million and, and suggest, hey, you need to talk to this person and this person and you might want to consider this um, for, for your other investments because it's important that they be di diversified in everything that they do. Well, my first question is going to be, if you have a million dollars to invest with me, how much more money do you have? Because <laughs> I don't want it to be your last million. That's right. That's right. I've heard him say that a million, a million times. Yeah. A million times. <laughs> a million Wendy, I think the, the point you just made was so tremendous. And I think that's one that's not asked enough when folks, especially in the investment space, especially, you know, since fundraising, you know, since the, since the, the Jobs Act and everything, right, and fundraising has become more common. I think people aren't asking that question. That's one of the things that concerns me is what are your goals? Mm -hmm. It's more, hey, this is what our fund offers. This is what this deal offers. This is why you should like it. And I think that's my concern overall in just the industry. And, and I love the fact that you asked that question that way is what are your goals? I mean, I, there's a lot of folks that I talk to that ask that question initially to try to align. But more often than not, I, unfortunately, I'd say, you know, at least half the time, if not more, they say, hey, here's my investment opportunity. Here's why you should like it. And right. they're not asking that question of, because, so one of the points about the debt side I'm curious about is the liquidity piece too, right? So we talked about syndication and, you know, longer term holds and that's great, but we're in an interesting point in the cycle right now where, you know, things are, are asset values are higher than they have been, you know, in the recent past and, you know, potentially ever, right? Uh, you right. know, as far as uh, cap rates and, and, you know, single family home values are, are skyrocketing tremendously. So the liquidity piece of it too. So kind of like you talked about the return on time, I think there's an off, you know, an offset for if your money is tied up, if that million dollars is tied up for five years, your car breaks, you, you have a illness unexpectedly. What's the liquidity uh, capability and timeline? Say somebody has, you know, hundred thousand dollars in your fund and you know, they have an event in their life where they need $50,000. How quickly can they get liquid and you know, have, that, have access to those funds so that they can take care of the necessary actions within their life? Great question. Well, if you're in a fund and you're in a lending fund, again, it depends on the documents. Um, you have to read the documents. I'll give you an example with ours. When, when you invest with us, it's a minimum of 50, and you have to keep the money in at least 24 months or you have to pay a penalty, like an early withdrawal penalty. So that means you can have access to your money at any time. However, like anything in a fund, it's up to management's discretion. So if you have an emergency that comes up, you can get money out, but you're gonna to have to pay an early withdrawal penalty. That said, it's a lending fund. Money is out in loans. I can't go to a borrower and say, I'm sorry, I have to call your note due because one of our investors needs their money back. <laughs> so you have to wait until a loan pays off or somebody new comes into the fund. Now, in a case of, of short-term lending like ours, loans are paying off all the time uh, and investors are putting money in all the time. So you, you still have to know that, yes, the liquidity is there if you need it, but like anything else in real estate, you may not get it exactly when you want to because there's, what's the attorney answer to everything? It depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> and it depends on the timing. 
There may be plenty of liquidity in there to do it. Listen, most funds, and we do the same thing. There's, there's a certain amount of reserves there that you can get to. But if it's a million dollars you need back, uh, you know. That's a big chunk. Yeah. You may have to wait a little bit and get it in pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it, it's a fine balance when you're doing this that uh, your fiduciary responsibility is to the other investors that are in the fund. And you can't compromise those folks for the one individual. But you can also sell your... your, your yeah, listen, your uh, private placement shares. Uh, again, it's only accredited investors. So you can't sell your shares on the open market. You can only sell your shares to uh, someone that the management agrees uh, can be a part of the fund in the first place. But there are other investors in there that would certainly be happy to buy somebody's shares at a discount. Yeah. If they had to. Plus, we, we have one-off opportunities as well, which means um, you're not going to put money in the fund. You would be a direct lender to a loan that we may make. Um, and it, it might be that you buy uh, a, a loan out of the fund. You know, it's, they're all underwritten the same. It's all loan to the same type people. But there's, but that is a, a um, you know, that loan is based on the term of the loan and it's six months, 12 months or 18 months. However, they have the opportunity to renew it uh, for another 90 days, but that's at the discretion of the lender. So if you think you might need your money back, you know, in 12 months, that would be a wiser way to go than to put it into. However, if there is an emergency <laughs> and you need your money back, guess what? You can sell your interest in that loan to someone else. That's right. Who wants a certain return? Yeah. Because you can. The, the great thing about the note space, whether you're doing it directly or within a fund, is that uh, you can assign loans existing or create new ones all the time. People do it all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Eddie Speed and Martha Speed, and you can have a twenty. You can have a loan with a twenty year term. You can sell five years worth of that loan to someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can sell the whole note to somebody else if you need cash. So the debt side of the equation is much more liquid than owning the property itself. Because yes. the only way you can get liquid when you own an asset, a real estate asset, is to refinance it or sell it. With, with the notes, you can sell pieces of it. Um, you can sell the whole thing. Uh, you can sell streams of income. You can collateralize a note. So instead of the house being collateral on a loan that you get, it would be the income stream that uh, you have in the note that's the collateral. There's always a bunch of different ways to skin that cat. Yeah, no, a lot, of, a lot of flexibility. And I just think it's another, like you talked about, you know, you just want to make sure that you're not all tied in one area, right? And I right. think that's why I, I personally like the debt side as well is because, you know, you've got a, a, fairly a fairly stable yield, especially in comparison. You talked about bonds earlier. So right now you've got a, a fairly strong yield that you can get, you know, on a monthly basis. And especially for folks, you talked about, you know, younger investors that are kind of building up that IRA or that 401k, but investors that are, you know, maybe starting to leverage income from that, you know, and that's a great way for them to, to grow that and, and take kind of monthly dividends, um, you know, to kind of live off of them, whatever the case is. So, well, Wendy, um, so there's one thing that you do that I think is so cool and pretty contrarian. So, so nowadays everybody's so apt to, you know, Hey, I need, you know, my time is, is worth this and that, you know, and I, I you know, I know Bill, we were just talking about that, uh, you know, but also, you know, people are just so apt to charge for, Hey, you know, you, you mentioned mastermind or mentoring or coaching. 
And I'm sure, you know, an hour of your time is extremely valuable. Um, but on Wednesdays, you open up your calendar for Wednesdays with Wendy. And I just think that's such a cool idea and just very contrarian in and of itself. So can you kind of tell the audience a little bit about what you do and what kind of started you down that path? Well, absolutely. And I stole this from a friend. It wasn't my original idea. Another person that I highly respect is doing Tuesdays. And I thought, wow, what a great, what a great idea. You know, and I'm sure, I'm sure everybody experiences this at some point. If I had, if I went to have coffee or lunch with everybody that asked me if they could pick my brain, I would be doing that all the time um, and not getting any work done. So, or even bigger than I am. So I, I learned from other people and I want to give back. I want to be able to share. Teaching is my favorite part about this business. I love sharing what I know. And I'd do that 100% of the time if I could, um, but I can't make money doing it that way. So, so I tithe my Wednesdays. That's how I look at it. So I've set up every Wednesday so, so that every Wednesday that I'm not traveling so that I can spend an hour with whoever signs up to talk about real estate. It can be their goals in, in real estate. It can be about, I'll teach people how to lend. I, I, um, you know, I help builders that are already in business scale up their businesses. I, I get in, in everything that has anything to do with real estate. Um, that's one of the great things about being in the lending world. You've touched it somehow, some way. And, and, and not only can I share what I know, but I, because we're in so many. <laughs> I'm laughing because she also shares stuff like, why the heck would you pick that color? I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. But, but because we're involved in so many masterminds across the country, I have this incredible network of really knowledgeable people that I can share with, with them. So, I mean, today I, I made an introduction for, from someone that we had met with to, to, uh, to Eddie Speed, actually. So I love being able to share, you know, the people that I get to be around with the other, with people that I get to meet with on Wednesday. And, you know, I don't do it for money and I am booked. My calendar's actually been not working until my assistant was able to fix it right today. But I just opened up my calendar again. I know I have dates available in February. So usually I'm booked up two or three months in advance, but it's a great opportunity you know, it, just to find out what it is they want to do. I, you know, I, I have side gigs too. I, I'm really into Airbnb, the short-term vacation rentals. We do fix and flips on the side. There's, there's all kinds of, of other real estate that we touch as well. And, um, and, and I just love, I love sharing what we do. I love sharing the, the puzzles. She just wants to show people how smart. She is. Yeah, that's what it is. So, <laughs> see, listen, Wendy also leads uh, faith-based. Uh, real estate meetup every Friday morning yeah. as well. And 18 years we've been meeting every Friday and for breakfast. Currently it's uh, all on the It's all on Zoom. Zoom so right anybody now. across so the country can do anybody it. Anybody can join it. I'm amazed. I couldn't come up with, you know, content every week. I, I do one, but it's only once a month. <laughs> but we bring in speakers, people that I know from other networks. And then most of the people in the group could get up and, and teach themselves. And most of them do. Um, you know, whatever they're doing, we share deals, we share vendors, we um, share problems um, and, uh, and share faith. So it, it's really an awesome, awesome group. It's called Sunrisers, S-O-N. And there's a Facebook page that you can get on to check that out as well. 
the yeah, thing is, sure. you, just have to, you have to have the mindset of abundance and not scarcity. That's right. Uh, because even if you teach somebody to be competition for you, they're not really going to be competition. You'll end up doing business with them one way or another, or they'll send you business some, somehow. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love that perspective and we'll be sure to, to put a link to the, to the Facebook group in the show notes, but awesome. I love that perspective of, of abundance, but we'll wrap up here with the, <laughs> with the contrarian three pack. So I'm curious. So um, I guess we'll just, you know, whoever wants to answer, go for it. So, um, you know, it sounds like you guys have been around real estate a lot. You just mentioned short-term rentals, Airbnb. What would you say is the most contrarian off the beaten path investment um, that either of you have made before? Yeah. Oh, tractor trailer trucks. Yeah, and that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a first. I haven't heard that. So, so what kind of investment was that? Well, this was uh, basically we were uh, making loans on used trucks that a company would utilize to, you know, do their business in. And unfortunately, they were a, a bit overused and they fell the apart. The repairs took it down. Al- along with our investment. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta spend money to make money. So, you know, you gotta take a little bit of risk. So obviously, unfortunately that one didn't work out so hot. That's right. Live and learn. So, um, well, normally I ask, you know, what's your favorite thing to do with friends and family outside of work? But I guess you guys spend time, you know, with family at work. So outside (laughs) of the lending game, um, I know you talked about your faith, but what is, what is some of your favorite activities out there? To me, I, I love to do deep sea fishing with my brother who is just younger than me i take my nephew who's uh, Wendy's son, <laughs> and uh, we meet down at the beach he's got a, a nice place on the intercoastal and we go out and do uh, a lot of deep sea fishing love it love it love it yeah except for when the weather's bad <laughs> and i live on a farm i like to sit amongst the goats and the horses and the chickens and just meditate <laughs> That's what, that's one thing we all need more of right now. Just a little that's mindfulness sure. and just calm, right? You know, just nice, just nice and deep breaths and think, uh, think nice thoughts. So, um, all right. Yeah, and I used we'll, to think playing golf would, uh, make things a lot easier, but it just made me matter. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I've, I've got a nice slice. So, you know, just, it'll, it'll start off straight and then, you know, right into the woods. <laughs> and, and then, um, so, I know Wendy, we just talked about, you know, your Wednesdays with Wendy, but you know, outside of the investing piece, it's so important, you know, what does offer you the most fulfillment in life? See your charities. Yeah, I, I, I would have to say, I, and I know people would say, well, look, girls are workaholic, but to, to me, our business is, is my ministry. We have had such an opportunity to touch so many lives with what, what we do. And of course, what it gives back to us is way more than what we give, but you know, cause you can't really outgive God, but that, I mean, that's, that's really it. We, we treat this company like it's our ministry and, and, uh, and it's just constantly given back to us. So I, <laughs> it, it, by the way, it is a wonderful ecosystem. Yeah. So what are we doing? We're providing capital for small businesses who keep people working while transitioning neighborhoods into more livable places, providing people with homes that uh, they can call their own. And at the same time, we have investors that are getting a return to build wealth for the, uh, the future and legacy and, and income to live off of when they retire. Right. It's a wonderful business. That's right. And in the meantime, we also make a living. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is the people that we meet 
is it, it's amazing who was put in front of us that we become, you know, dear friends with people that live all over the country and have every kind of lifestyle you can possibly imagine that are just really neat people um, that just make us better. It just makes us better. Well, even better, right? You know, your business and, and fulfillment all tied into one. So, um, well, Bill and Wendy, this has been outstanding. Thank you so much. I appreciate you both for taking the time. What's the best way? Um, I know we talked about Wednesdays with Wendy. We talked about your Facebook group. We talked about all the sorts of stuff, but what's the best way that the audience can get in touch with you guys out there and check out all your great opportunities? CarolinaHardMoney.com. Yeah. <laughs> That and Wendy at CarolinaHardMoney.com. If you send me an email, Wendy at CarolinaHardMoney.com, I'm happy to hook you up with the Sunrisers group or the Wednesday with Wendy. Um, any information you need, we're, we're, uh, email is always the best way to get a hold of us. Awesome. Well, to an even better 2021, thank you both again. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.